0: pH Drinking, the podcast where I interview graduate students from a variety of fields all about their research. I'm your host, Sadie Witkowski, and with me today is a fifth-year graduate student in the molecular biosciences at Northwestern University, Sersha McSherry. So welcome, Sersha. Hello,
1: Sadie. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so glad we could finally schedule this. It oh, has been... Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> too crazy. For me, too. Uh, so what are you drinking today?
1: I am drinking a Lagunitas, some something, putting the pub in public radio.
0: <laughs> oh, God, yes. I've heard Classic. that so many times. I have one of my glasses <laughs> that has <laughs> a puppy on it, and I'm like, I just like it because it looks
1: like a – Is it the one that's a jar?
0: Yeah, the mason jar? Yeah. Yes. It's a great glass. Uh, I'm having the Diesel Punk Honey Amber that I bought when I was in South Bend for a friend's oh. wedding. So.
1: That sounds so delicious.
0: It's pretty tasty. I'm not I'm. Mm. – I'm enjoying it. Uh, So, cheers, even though we're doing this long distance. Cheers! (laughs) Uh, So, let's get right into it. Um, So, I've met you. I've met you many different ways. uh, But most recently, we were at the ComSciCon Chicago uh, annual convention.
1: Yes. Out,
0: uh, and you got to like participate and I pretend to organize, but really I just sat in on all the panels I cared about.
1: Uh, I doubt that. <laughs> um, so
0: did you feel like your minute blurb talk about your research, like, quit, like got what you wanted to say or, or do you feel like this is a better way to do it?
1: Oh, this is such a better way to do it. I mean, a minute is so hard. It's so important to know how to present your research in a minute, but Realistically, it's so challenging. Yeah.
0: Oh, and I just realized I forgot to do your random fact. Uh, so it's your yeah. crazy fact?
1: Um, you know, I'm going to audible here. My crazy fact is that there is a protein that controls cell death in our bodies. So like it makes our cells die. But I found that that protein is actually responsible for cell growth.
0: I was wondering, is this the same part that is in charge of apoptosis or am I just making that up?
1: Yes, 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 yes. It's a cast base. So um, the executioner cast bases are the ones that go and cleave their substrates for actually creating the morphological changes or the like shape changes that cause death.
0: So is your air- so we talked about this earlier, but molecular yeah. biosciences means what?
1: Well, intentionally vague, I sort of mentioned that it is a made up word, (laughs) biosciences anyways, Um, but it's intentionally vague, I think, because there's so many different regions of biology that this could apply to. So in my department, um, we could have people studying many different Things in biology. We could have, you know, uh, structural biologists working on the structures of proteins, or we could have um, something like I would call myself, which is a cell biologist, where we study the processes that cells go through sort of on a daily basis, Um, or we could have geneticists. So it's really vague, but in general, just like what molecules are inside the cell and what do they do? (laughs) So when you go to like lectures for your area, are they just like all
0: over the place on different like yeah, oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. So our program is actually the Interdepartmental Biological Sciences program is the name of my um, PhD program. And so that's also intentional in the program.
0: That's crazy. I mean, it's a good experience to be thinking about all the different applications and like levels yes. you can think about I mean, yeah, biology in I- general. <laughs>
1: Yeah, totally. And it even goes beyond that because we can collaborate with engineering labs or chemistry labs. And I actually did one of my rotations first year in a chemistry lab. So it's good to have that experience to different um, disciplines.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then, so what drew you to the lab that you're in now?
1: Oh, man. Uh, This is sort of a long story. um, But, you know, in my family, uh, we have a history of heart disease, and it's very common. A lot of families have histories of heart disease. Um, and when I was little, actually when I was born, I had a heart defect, and I was very minor. I was premature, and it's something that's common in preemies um, and not fatal or anything. Um, but I've always been really interested as a result in sort of heart Um, development and normal hearts versus diseased hearts and things like that. And so when I was in college, I actually studied, uh, researched the development of the mouse heart.
0: Whoa, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it was so, so cool. And actually, my PI was an MD, so he was a heart failure and heart transplant doctor. So I just shadowed him a lot. Did you get to see any Um,
0: surgeries?
1: I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) I didn't want to humble brag about it, but yes, uh, I watched a heart trans or a, yeah, a heart transplant, and I actually got to do uh, studies on the heart that we took out of the patient, Whoa. the diseased heart. Um, we got to study whether the at that time we were studying microRNAs, and we got to see whether those were affected in his heart. That's crazy. I went
0: – so my humble brag is my mom is a nurse anesthetist. Uh, and so oh, she's been so a great cool. hookup. But I got to go see a mitral valve replacement, uh, oh. which was super cool. And also like – okay, listeners, please don't be eating right now. But um, <laughs> when they when they were cutting through the chest cavity, like they also cauterize as they cut. And I did oh. breakfast and I was like, it kind of smells like barbecue but not good. Oh, my God. <laughs>
1: And I was like, "Oh no, I'm, totally I'm oh my God.
0: and disgusted."
1: <laughs> I will never eat barbecue again. <laughs> One week later, I lived in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's so cool. So cool. So I love that stuff. So you were um, you were looking
0: at like the so you were looking at like cellular slices. Like, were you doing microscope work when you were working with yes. this guy?
1: Oh, totally. Like a ton of microscopy and other molecular biology techniques. So PCR and I was working with mouse babies also. So we would do a lot of microscopy and Western blots and you're pretty standard molecular biology techniques. um, All that stuff is super standard
0: unless you're not in the field. And like I can vaguely, I know that Western blots are like, they're dots at different levels Oh, my God. A different That's so impressive. darkness. That's Okay, well, yeah. In psychology, yeah. I've had a few sleep classes where they were looking at Western blots. I don't even remember why. Uh, and I was like, I don't know. There are dots on a page of various darkness and height. But, like, to anybody uh, who does not study that shit, it is so confusing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny how all these things just become, like, secondhand nature, too.
0: Yeah, any technique you use a lot, you're like, oh, yeah, it's obviously blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, yeah, not obvious. No, no. <laughs>
1: yeah, totally. So that was your undergrad work, right? Yes, yes, yes. So, right, well, long story. Um, Got really interested in cardiovascular research, wanted to be an MD, but then I sort of realized that I really liked doing bench work and I really liked figuring out more things about human biology as opposed to, like, treating the same – different patients with the same problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I sort of stuck with my research track and I – I hate getting up early, so med school would not have worked out. Versus um. research where everyone's
0: in the lab at 10 until who knows?
1: I, yeah, you just got home at nine, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, yes. I sort of had this interest, and then I worked in the lab as an undergrad and then as a tech. And when I came to Northwestern, this was sort of the closest um, in terms of techniques molecular biology techniques, the closest lab, to what I had been doing as a technician in the lab. And so I was immediately drawn to it and immediately drawn to it because it was the study of a developmental process, kind of similar to heart development. Um, So heart development sort of starts out as a tube when you're a little fetus. um, And then it's the tube kind of curls over itself to form the four chambers of the heart. Mm -hmm. And um, my lab actually studies biological tube formation, so it's sort of a natural progression.
0: So you were interested because it was like the formation of tubes. Doesn't the brain also start as a neural tube that slowly folds in on itself?
1: Oh, you have keyed in on a very interesting part of developmental biology. <laughs> <laughs> tubes are everywhere. Yeah, the neural tube, I mean, we have all these developmental... Um, sort of forces and folding and shape changes that happen through the course of development in order to make the final structures that we have inside of our bodies as adults. Um, And of course, we start out as just a fertilized round spherical egg. So there's a lot of folding and moving that goes along with that. And a lot of tubes sort of form and change shape in that way, too.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting to think about so you start in a ball, and then you become a long spaghetti tube, and yeah. then 3D print a human being at the end of nine months.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Pretty much. So what's your favorite biological tube? Is that a weird question to ask?
1: <laughs> I love it. I, I, oh my God, I love the heart because that's where my, like, sort of love of science
0: began. Is that, is that where your heart lies? Um,
1: That's where my heart lies. See what you did there. Yes. Yeah. But other than that, I have to go like ovaries or something.
0: Oh, yeah. Definitely. Because
1: those are ridiculously cool.
0: Yeah. I've started telling people whenever people are like, oh, don't be such a girl. I'm like, dude, ovaries are strong and the vagina is incredible. So. Oh, my
1: God. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely.
0: So then what does a normal day look like in the lab? Like, do you complete – like, is an experiment per week? Are you one of those people who can turn out projects uh, really fast or
1: – So, um, that's a great question too. Um, the normal day sort of starts out with me waking up, watching Good Morning America because I am hooked to that show <laughs> as I get ready and, like, eat my breakfast – Um, and I go to lab and the first thing that I'll do is usually check on my flies. So I guess we can get into this in a second, but I study the fruit fly. Um, and so the first thing I have to go do when I get to lab is check on them. So I do a lot of crosses and those genetic crosses are just to propagate different mutations that I've created and mix them together and things like that.
0: So like classic eighth grade Punnett squares, these are the genetics exactly. i want for this next
1: thing. yeah i can like do that all in my head at this point because i just do it all the time <laughs> um so we're just looking for different markers like curly wings versus flat wings or little tiny eyes versus normal eyes and things like that and that's a way for us to track um our mutations
0: so maybe this is a weird question but like when you do crosses are like do flies have eggs how does that work do you just put two <gasps> flies together in a room place some? Music. You are
1: so good at this. Yes. Um, play some sexy music. <laughs> Justin Timberlake, um, personal choice. <laughs> oh my God, yes. Um, we actually have Marvin Gaye on the computer in the fly room, which is no, hilarious. No, really? Yeah, it's great. It's the best. Um, super into it. So uh, yeah, they do actually lay eggs, and um, so those annoying flu flies that you get in your apartment also do this, and probably why it's really hard to get rid of an infestation like I have right now, um, which is they will just lay eggs kind of wherever, and then those eggs take about a day, a day or two to hatch, and then oh, beer was a poor choice for this, <laughs> getting all the burps. The burps. Okay. Um so um they then they hatch and then they hatch into larva and then these larvae will kind of go about eating whatever they can find for about seven days, about a week, and then those larva will turn into pupae and the pupae will then um emerge as full adult flies, but I do all of my experiments on my embryos. Oh, so they never have so to that's go the very through that first whole stage. Ex- like life nope. stage.
0: I was about to ask, like, what are you feeding them as, yeah. as a vascular agar plate? But that makes sense.
1: Yep, yep. So um, I only ever look at the embryos because that's what um, I'm interested in is that developmental process. Um, so, uh, yeah, so then once you collect them – then you can stain them and look at their, their trachea, which I don't think I mentioned yet.
0: Oh, so you're doing, you're working on developmental throat stuff?
1: Haha. <laughs> yes. So it is the trachea. It's the same word as our like windpipe. Um, kind of similar functions on that. They're both involved in respiration and gas exchange. But the trachea and the fly is a little bit different because flies have an open circulatory system, whereas we have a closed circulatory system. So... They still have a heart, but uh, mostly oxygen gets delivered directly to tissues in the fly through the trachea. So the trachea runs actually the whole distance of the fly from top to bottom, if you will. <laughs> and so uh, I studied the length of the trachea.
0: So the length of the trachea can vary, even if all the fly, all the developmental flies are about the same size.
1: So that's the fun part is that um, if I were to look at 5, 10, or 100 wild type trachea, they would all be exactly the same size. So if you took normal trachea, or sorry, normal flies from the wild and looked at their trachea, they would all have the same length. And the other interesting thing is that this is not dependent on the number of cells inside of the trachea. So um, when we look at those wild type embryos, we can count the number of cells, and then we can introduce a mutation in the cell cycle, which causes either too many cells or not enough cells. And those cell cycle mutations actually don't affect the length of the trachea.
0: So they'll either squeeze in or stretch out to make the same overall distance.
1: Exactly. So somehow they know there's something genetically programmed that tells them how big the trachea has to be. That's crazy. I mean – Yeah. That's also true because can't you –
0: so it's probably some kind of like regulator gene that's doing this, right,
1: is the assumption? Mm, Yes, yes. What we we, we know is that there are a certain number of pathways, genetic pathways or um, series of proteins that interact with each other um, that will actually – affect tracheal length, but we don't know how they all combine, like how do they all fit together. Yeah. And so that we're lacking sort of a theory of relativity um, for all of these pathways that we know control tracheal length.
0: Right. So you have to figure out how they're combining and like it, disrupting one will lead to a specific kind of deficit that can be maybe compensated by another pathway unless something yeah, else changes.
1: Exactly. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, it's it's basically how many different ways can we give flies deficits to figure out what a normal functioning fly how it
1: exactly. So I like to. I'm sure you've heard this analogy before, but I really like to compare it to um, if you have a car and your car breaks down, um, you aren't just going to replace all of the parts. You want to figure out what part of the car is broken. And then, when you diagnose that problem, then you can fix just that one little part. And so, we want to know what the part is that breaks when you know the trachea becomes too long, or in the case of human diseases, um, you know what causes this overgrowth phenotype of certain tubes. Um, so, so that we can figure out how to fix it. Does there, is there a
0: human analog, like a reason using flies, or is it just because you need to understand the basic
1: science before you can move
0: up the yeah. animal model scale?
1: Totally. Um, it's it's six of one, half dozen of the other. Um, so obviously understanding the basic cell biology and how cells are communicating with each other about those sort of things is, is critically important. Um, and realistically, that's That's like the real reason for doing this. But luckily, the fruit fly actually shares a lot of the same genetic information as humans. So we know of the diseases that we know occur in humans and have uh, genetic components to them. Um, Those genetic components, uh, 75% of those genetic components are actually also present in the fruit fly.
0: And don't we have the whole genome for the fruit fly all mapped out as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the benefits of using the fly is that it's been studied for a very, very long time. Um, A lot of the founders of genetics like Thomas Hunt Morgan actually studied fruit flies. So we know a lot about the fruit fly and know a lot about what kinds of tools we can use to manipulate their genes and things like that.
0: I find that stuff so interesting. Like I know, you know, even people in like sleep research are like, studying flies i heard a great one minute um what was it a blitz talk uh data blitz talk and he just had a gif of a fly sticking out its proboscis (laughs) that was his slide and in a minute he was like so it turns out that when you brain damage a fly by shaking it in a box they stick out their tongue more during the sleep we think it's because they're using the tongue like the action of the tongue movement because like you said they're they're kind of they don't have a really strong body plan they're mostly liquid inside an exoskeleton to like stir Uh. around the contents of their brain to deal with the traumatic injury And I was like, that was a lot of information with a GIF.
1: (laughs) So cool. Yeah, seriously.
0: But yeah, I think that stuff is so interesting. So do you want to keep working with the – fruit? I mean, you're in a fifth year now, and that's – I'm guessing you're getting close to graduating? I don't know what your program is like.
1: (laughs) Well, I think our average graduation time is probably like six and a half years, to be honest. Um, But yeah, I'm hoping to be done in the next year or so, um, our requirements are basically publishing a first author paper, um, which I'm working on now. Um, yeah, it's so exciting, but my ultimate career goal is to teach at a small liberal arts school or a primarily undergraduate institution, um, because I like research, but I really like teaching and I really like reaching out to kids who are like really motivated, but, um, maybe need to ask for help and, and need support, so um, that's that's kind of my goal. And so to do to do that at a small institution where that is not an R1 university like – or institution like Northwestern, um, you have to have kind of cheap research. And so fruit flies, another benefit is that they're really cheap.
0: I was about to ask yeah. that. If was, yeah. If it was like also like you can trust an undergrad like you can give them a section of fruit flies and be like, like totally. here's what you're doing. You can do this in a summer Bye. project. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck And if they mess it up
1: Your life isn't over Right You're like yeah. Here's your next batch Please don't kill them <laughs> Exactly And if you do Whatever It's fine There's more
0: So wait Is the animal IRB Really strict on flies Or do they not care I don't-
1: care very much the one thing that we have to do is we have to make sure that all of our flies are dead when we dispose of them because we don't want those random genetic elements to get into the wild populations
0: yeah i mean that totally makes sense like they always talk about like sacrificing research animals it's like yeah because Mm -hmm. if you do something horrible and messed up as like it's genetics you don't want that in your general population yeah it's very dangerous no (laughs) yeah Um, that's so crazy that you went, so you went all the way from human scale in your undergrad research to fly research. Yeah. Yeah. And like with a quick stopover with mice.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I feel like that might be the natural progression is you start out with this curiosity of like, what is going on in inside of my body right now? Like, this is ridiculous. How is any of this happening? And then to really answer those questions, you obviously – can't do research on humans, so you have to rely on model organisms, and the cheaper the better. Yeah,
0: exactly, and the cheaper yeah. and the quicker
1: reproducing yes. the better. Oh my god, yes! And the other thing is that you get much more, like a much higher n. So the amount of embryos that I get with a fly is going to be like exponentially larger than the amount of um, mouse pups that I would get yeah. after like a month.
0: How many? How many flies go into like a published paper? Can you make that estimation?
1: Um, Well, like over the course of the last five or four years, God even knows. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but usually for a data point, I'll have about 10 of the same genotype. Okay. Um, And then it just sort of depends on what sort of things you're, you're analyzing.
0: Yeah, what the question is or...
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. With
1: humans, like... Yeah,
0: <laughs> you can't you can't make them breed. You can't kill them to look at their no, genomes. It's
1: a huge no, problem. Oh, uh, uh, sort of an it's annoyance. <laughs> annoyance. So frustrating. Ugh.
0: So then, how many how many different laboratory techniques have you had to like pick up in your PhD?
1: Hmm. Well, thankfully, I knew a lot of them sort of going in, um, because, like I said, there's just a a. Basket of molecular biology techniques that are applicable to so many different um, applications, and so if you want to study yeast or you want to study flies or you want to study mice, you're going to be using a lot of the same techniques. So luckily, not too too many. Um, the biggest thing that I do is actually confocal microscopy. Um, so if you were asking me how my day was going, that would probably be the next thing after checking on my flies is just going to the confocal microscope and spending like four hours there. (laughs) Um, So a confocal microscope, in case you're not familiar, is this really special microscope that allows you to basically look through um, your sample and sort of build a 3D reconstruction going plane by plane because it cancels out of focus light. And so that allows me to build a 3D image of the trachea as it moves through the space of the embryo.
0: So it's basically it's like doing lots of really thin slices as you move through the 3D object that you can then yep. like piece
1: back together. Exactly.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that's exactly like um, how MRI works. Basically, is just uh, keep moving the magnetic field and and keep slicing. And that's why when you yeah. see like images of like twelve different slices of the same like angle of the brain, that's how they're actually getting the images. So cool. So much basic physics goes into like all of science, I've realized.
1: <laughs> oh my God. I wish I paid more attention in physics class. I know. Well, yeah. My life would be so much easier. <laughs> I need a book that's
0: like, here are the physics you should care about for your kind of research. And be like, Exactly. This is great. I'm so glad yes. I know how this works now.
1: Same with stats. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've not taken enough stats class. I've taken enough to know which statistical test most of to the do. Time. Yeah. Which, which, yeah. correct one to do. And I think that's the biggest step and then beyond that it's like figure out how to write it in whatever language you're programming in or whatever
1: oh my gosh thank yeah yeah
0: because like I use R and I'll be like okay I need an ANOVA and then I'm like oh no R has three different kinds of ANOVAs oh my god different levels of type one error or something I can't remember the exact details but it has driven me crazy in the past
1: if I even had to use R I would probably die (laughs)
0: So you know Western blots and I write in a very confusing programming language.
1: (laughs) That's a more marketable skill. So (laughs) we're good. So
0: when you're looking at the confocal microscope, are you just making sure that like each image lines up correctly? Like you're having to do this all and like just sit there for
1: hours? Yeah. Yeah. So the reason that I sit there for hours is that one scan takes about 10 minutes and Um, basically all I do is go up and look at my slide and find the embryo that I want to take images of and just tell the microscope where the top is and where the bottom is. And then it'll automatically go through and do all the slices. So I don't have to do that. Thank God.
0: Okay. So you're not having to like check on it every two seconds and be like,
1: is this right? Is this right? It, yeah just like every 10 minutes or so and so in the meantime I can be like reading papers or listening to podcasts so yeah
0: I would listen to so many
1: podcasts I <laughs> really <would> be... do <laughs> <laughs> yeah I really do
0: I haven't been in running any participants lately uh, in my studies I've had a lot of help oh. with that and so like that was my time when I'd listen to podcasts and now I'm like I have to listen on everything at like one and a half speed otherwise I <sighs> won't get through all the shows I'm obsessed with oh, now oh my
1: gosh oh Oh
0: yes, May- hashtag academic problems. <laughs> I know our <laughs> lives, our lives. Academia so hard. No, <laughs> um, yeah. So then, once you like do the three D reconstructions, like how are you analyzing that data? I guess like what are you looking for exactly?
1: Yeah, um, I can do a number of things with that data. I can either. Um, trace a line through the trachea through 3D so that I can accurately measure the length. Um, Or I can stain for different proteins. So this is a technique, immunohistochemistry or immunofluorescence, where you just take antibodies that recognize your protein of interest and um, soak your embryos in it. And then those antibodies will attach to your protein of interest. And then there are special antibodies that glow, so they emit a special light. sort of. Um and then so I can look at where specific proteins are localized um through micro uh confocal microscopy.
0: So it's the 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 it's fluorescence, right? It's like biological yes. fluorescence like what you see in like glowing yeah. jellyfish and like
1: Exactly. Not so fireflies, uh, cause that's technically
0: a chemical reaction, it's different.
1: Yes, that's luciferase. Things I know. Um good job. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's actually, these antibodies have special probes on on the ends of them that react to different uh, wavelengths of light, and when you shine a different laser wavelength of light on those antibodies, um, then they will uh, be excited and emit another wavelength of light, so then we catch that.
0: So you can get different, using different wavelengths, you can get different, like, responses and, and then map out different parts of it, essentially.
1: Definitely, yeah, so we can see if two proteins are in the same place and, oh, maybe that's really interesting. Maybe, you know, like we know that protein A is involved in X process, but we didn't know that protein B was, but they're in the same place. Um, so, yeah, that's exactly the, the sort of techniques that I'm doing.
0: Did you think when you were like in high school, like biology, having to learn like the cell cycles and like the Krebs cycle and stuff,
1: that this would be both meaningful and interesting to you in your life? <laughs> Oh my god! I'm so glad you asked this question because um, I hated science when I was a kid. Like hated oh no. <laughs> it. Yeah, I really, really did. And I just like, for some reason, when I was in in high school, I think I took one biology class, like the required biology class, and we did all these like you know cell cycle and whatever. And then we got to Oh, God. Plants. Oh, no. Plants. I hate plants. They're so boring. Yeah.
0: That's the Krebs cycle one. That's all I remember. <laughs> yes.
1: The Calvin cycle. Oh, my mm. God. So bored over it. But then we got to this like the, this chapter on the human body, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Again, like I had that sort of inherent curiosity. Um, and then – I actually stayed up late one night because I was really into true crime at the time and still am. (laughs) And I saw um, this show on HBO that was uh, about how autopsies help solve murders. And I was like, oh my God, this is insane. Like the human body is so cool. And so that was the moment that I could really identify. I'm not one of those kids who is always like, oh, I love science. Science is great. I was the opposite. I wanted to, like, be a lawyer or a writer or something. Um, so, yeah, I just sort of, like, fell into this and just followed my intuition and not necessarily my – what I thought were strengths. Um, so, yeah, this didn't think it was going to be important when I was in high school. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's so hard when you're like, oh, but I'm not good at science. And you're like, but I really am interested in this thing. So maybe I'll just pretend I am. And yeah. then you are. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yeah. take it, till and you
0: that's it Actually, how it works, yeah. I'm pretty sure. 90% of the time.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> definitely.
0: Um, well, I'm kind of running out of questions. Did you have any other big topics that we didn't get to cover? Because I don't know your field as well.
1: Awesome. Um, I don't know. I don't really, I don't really think so. Um, I definitely am so excited to talk about flies because um I think that most people don't really know or appreciate why we use flies in science. Um, so so glad I got to talk about that. That was my, like, mission.
0: They're a really great model organism. And, like, I even – I do some mentoring for high school students. And oh. m- the current student I'm mentoring is using flies in their experiment. And I'm just like, I don't know anything about flies, but I know they're great That's for this kind of thing. so
1: awesome. Yeah, definitely. So that I was like, great. "Good luck! <laughs> I'll try to help."
0: <laughs> I, I can tell you about brain things, but less about fly things. It's so cool! So cool. Um. Well, yeah, I think that that's a really good place to leave it. Cool. So I just want to say thanks to everyone for listening to the episode, yes, and if you like you. the show, yeah, this has been great. So fun. Uh, <laughs> I love doing these. It's 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 my vacation, you know. <sighs> Think about someone else's work that I don't have to do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So if you like the show, please tell your friends about the podcast and leave me a review on iTunes or Google Play as your review helps me reach a larger audience and get even more interesting guests on the show. Um, And in addition, I should mention I have a Patreon account where you can come a patron of the podcast and help pay for production costs. Um, And if you want to hear what I'm up to, I'm on Twitter at PHDrinking. I also have a personal account that is at Sadie Witt, and then would you like listeners to be able to find you on Twitter? Do you talk about science on Twitter?
1: I do talk about science on Twitter. I like started out as a personal account, but now I've I've morphing it into a science account. So um, mine is Taco Bell, which is T A A K O underscore B E L L E. I love that. <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> random. <laughs> It's a reference to The Adventure Zone, which is another nerdy podcast that I love. Oh.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, and as always, I will also include re- uh, links about your research in the podcast description so that people can um, find more about your work there, as well as your Twitter handle. And um, thanks again for coming on the show. This has been oh my God, awesome. Thank you
1: so much. I'm so glad we finally got to do it. I know. It
0: only took like a month of us being terrible about planning. Time. I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, and to all you listeners out there, cheers!